morning, everyone. And uh, we are glad to be in the Lord's house today. Let's, uh, am I on? Are you good over there? Okay. All right. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this day. I pray, O Lord, as we consider uh, your faithfulness to your church and the doctrines of the church, Lord, I pray that you would instruct us in wisdom and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to bring this up during church as well, but I just want to point out... um, if you're interested, you know, we've been encouraging, of course, everyone. I want to encourage you to do this um, certainly through the uh, season of Lent as well. And every week, just uh, read the lectionary readings if you can with your family. But if you're interested in something um, for the season of Lent, some additional readings, uh, there's some questions in here as well. It's by Sinclair Ferguson, uh, faithful Presbyterian feller, uh, but to uh, seeking to save. Uh, daily reflections on the road to the cross um, can be helpful. I uh, just uh, bring that to your attention and recommend that to you. Um, so we've been uh, talking a little bit about the doctrines of the church. Excuse me, and I have mentioned that uh, you know the doctrines of the church are um, very much neglected, and you can see this reflected. Uh, in a minimization of uh, church attendance and in being part of a local body and how that uh, works. And we spent a number of weeks kind of setting up the centrality of the church and kind of a lens with which to um, work through. We covered a number of scriptures and perspectives. And uh, I mentioned last week that we would be um, taking a look at the Westminster Confession um, and several other confessions as well on, on, on issues relating uh, to the church. Uh, this week I sent out a note um, if you wanted to go ahead and read and contemplate it. that We would uh, be going over the portion of the Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 25, points 1 and 2. Chapter 25 is just about the doctrines of the church. I thought, however, it would be helpful. We have a wide variety of people in here. Um, some who are more familiar with the confessions of the church, um, others a little less so, um, some who may have read it at one point. Um, I know that I had agreed to subscribe to it uh, before I really understood. Uh, of course, I'm not going to say I simply understood everything, but also remember, folks, that, that nothing um, outside the Word of God is written in a context um, in a vacuum. There's a historical situation going on that plays a role into both what's being written and um, what, what it's trying to address. Okay, We know that to be true uh, as it relates to history books, right? How many guys are confident uh, about a lot of the history books that are available today? You're real confident about them telling the truth? Okay, I'm not so confident in that, right? Uh, in part because what happens? The victor writes the books, right, a lot of times. And now we, we live in a day and age where we are very blessed. We have access to the Internet 
which allows us to uh, access a lot of information. Some of it, well, hold on. <laughs> That's right. The comment was, for those of you at home, was, are, am I very confident about what's on the Internet? And, of course, the answer to that question is, of course, some of it is corrupt. Some of it is merely conspiracy. You, you know what makes a good conspiracy theory work? Elements of the truth. What makes a good lie work? Elements of the truth, right? Or they make a good point, but their conclusions uh, might be off. Now, one of the things is you, you can almost go crazy in, in that sort of thing when you're thinking about conspiracies or anything else simply because you're like, there's so much information. And by the way, what can, even if all this were true, what can I do about it, right? And of course, as Christians who believe God's word, we believe in the sovereignty of God. God is not a blind watchmaker who designed the universe, got it up and running, and then stepped back. No, God is a personal God. He's been involved personally with his creation, with people since the very beginning, right? His, his whole objective since the fall of man is to remove the barriers that keep us from drawing near to him, right? And so even though we can't control hardly anything, right? God is faithful. God's plan is, 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 is moving through time, and we can rest in that. Okay, that is actually in part, here's a piece of a little side note about doctrine of the church, right? We come here, we confess our sins, we worship God, we hear God's word, right? We, we bring our petitions before the Lord, right? Then, then we draw, we hear God's word explained. Then, then we go to the, his table of peace. All this is happening. What do you think is happening when we're praying over here? Okay, I, I heard uh, uh, Pastor Wilson recently talking about this, and he says, you know, when we're worshiping God, we, we sometimes forget what God is doing, right? The, the, you know, we know the whole phrase, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, right? Right, we know that scripture. When we're worshiping God, the, the, those heathen nations that are raging against God who are up in their big tower and their citadel that, they're, that they believe is going to keep them till I don't know what, right? But it's going to protect them. When we're worshiping the Almighty, when we're glorifying Him, when we're drawing near to Him in peace, when we've confessed our sins, there's a battering ram going against that great citadel of the, of the raging nations. Because we can't take them down. We don't have that strength. We don't have that power. That's God's power. But worship drives this home. Anyway, all that to be said, we need to be thinking about all that as it relates to the church. The church matters. But I thought I'd give us just a quick, um, just brief look at what was going on historically um, that brought about the Westminster Confession. Um, it's a document that... Uh, came out of the Westminster Assembly uh, called by Parliament in the 1640s. Now, um, you got to say, okay, why did the Parliament call some people together and say, hey, um, we need to look at, the, have some pastors get together and look at the doctrines of the church. The, the doctrines of the church uh, for the Church of England at the time were called the, the 39 Articles. Um, but, but the first question is, what about the Church of England? What's going on there? Why is there a Church of England as opposed to being part of uh, most of the churches 
um, outside of the Reformation, um, you know, what was going on there? Well, you've got, uh, you know, King Henry, right? He wants to get divorced. The Pope won't grant him that divorce. So he says, ah, I'm going to start my own church. And I'll be king. I'll be. I'll be the head bishop as king, right? The church is kind of subordinate to the state in that way, a little out of order, right? But but so he does that. Church of England gets started, um, and uh, down the road, King Charles I shows up, and he's uh, more of a Roman Catholic guy. And what he wants to do is he wants to take the Church of England, and 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 by the way, despite its its its. Uh, maybe sinful motivations for its start, God still used the Church of England. You know, the Puritans are growing up in this. Um, we have a lot of good things happening. Uh, but there are problems in the, in the Church of England itself. And so, um, you know, they say, we need to get some ministers together. We need to look at the doctrines of, of the Church of England and get that straight, right? And again, they had some political motivations. They're trying to depose the king. Um, wars coming up and you know god by his gracious hand um, keeps them from just simply being able to muster enough military might to depose this catholic roman king um, from the throne and god in his providence makes it necessary for parliament to look to scotland which has had a reformation going on john knox and and, and the covenanters that, that come later Right, and they are, and and they need the covenanters. Who, by the way, in, in just a few short years before, had raised armies and fought against King Charles when he tried to assert uh, bishops into uh, to uh, push back against the Reformation in Scotland. And by God's good graces, the those uh, covenanters um, were able to r- repel him. But so the Parliament says, hey, man, we need to figure something out. We need to help. We've got to get these guys to come help us. And so they enter in what they call the Solemn League and Covenant in 1643. And at that point, um, they, the, the uh, reformers in Scotland, the Covenanters as they're known, they, they come in and they say, well, we're willing to help you. But we know you've called this assembly over here, all right? So we want to have a part in um, helping you to look at reforming the church. And then in trade, we also want you to recognize us and protect us, and, and, and we'll work as the body of Christ together, sort of coming together for uh, what you might say denomination, setting aside some things and say, how do we work together? And I say all that because... Um, this gets really important. Of course, later on, just to fill out that history, they do depose of King Charles I. Um, they uh, run into trouble later when they decide that they'll, they're going to let Charles II come back. Um, there's a revoking of all the, the cooperativeness between the Puritans, the Church of England, the Covenanters. And it all goes uh, downhill um, from there. There's an expulsion of all the Puritan ministers out of the Church of England, and it's just a hot mess um, after that. And in part because um, we we have sinful people in the church, um, out of the church, and uh, you know our our own motivations um, corrupt things. I mean, let's let's just back up for a second because it's easy for us to look back and go, "What's wrong with those guys?" Right? 
Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, let, let's, let's bring it into us and our own homes, right? Um, how are we doing there? Do we really want someone to, to have written a detailed history about our lives and our households? And would they have things that they could look at harshly and criticize? Of course. All I'm saying in that is, is um, recognize that God uses um, the sinful people in his church. He redeems them, forgives their sins, draws near, and he is working on weeding out um, the sins in our lives. And uh, we'll get into some details here in, in just a few minutes, but I have a couple other comments I want to make about the Westminster Confession. So all this is going on. So there's obviously, there's going to be some direct things where they are pushing directly against the Roman church, right? And I just call Roman as opposed to saying Catholic because the word Catholic means universal. That'll come up in point one of chapter 25. Um, But remember that prior to the Great Schism, it was just everybody was one church, although they were kind of of led by, by regional bishops out of large cities. Um, and there was a divide between East and West, and so um, your Eastern churches. So I just, rather than try to deal with all that, we're just going to say the Roman church, okay? So, um, you know, there's going to be things where they are addressing, and rightfully so, the context of their day and saying, okay, we're pushing back against these particular doctrines or abuses within the Roman church. The other thing I want to tell you is, um, in the United States in particular, um, parts of the Reformed Church, Presbyterian Church, have at times elevated the Westminster Confession to a level that is higher than the Scriptures. In other words, the Scriptures cannot be understood by any other way but through the Westminster Confession. Okay, All confessions that are, that are faithful are designed to be guardrails for us. Okay, They do not, they are not the, the singular way and the only way to understand the scriptures. The other problem with that elevated view of the Westminster is you and I, you know, I don't know, we've got, we'll say 35 people in the room, right? Um, we could all read this. We could all read the first section in, in chapter 25, and we could all draw a little bit different conclusions. Well, which one of those conclusions is the most right and the most orthodox? We certainly want to try to work through those things, right? But then we, we get into this idea that, that um, this is strict. There's no variance from the word as if these words in this book are the word of God, although my particular one does have the scriptures that it's referenced right below it. And so I would certainly uh, rec- recommend if you, if you want to buy one and as a member of this church, when you became a member here, part of the thing you, you say is is that I'm willing to, you know, the doctrines of this particular church, Christ Reformed Evangelical, are largely drawn out of here, right? So, like, when I came here as your pastor, or I came here to be examined to be your pastor, one of the questions is, do I vary it any way with the Westminster Confession um, as, as we continue to grow, grow and develop um, leadership in our church? You know, that'll be a question that we'll ask. And so, yes, I have some exceptions to the Westminster. Not so much as in critical issues, but just the nuances of how people perceive the words. And I think that the scriptures might, um, you know, express it a little bit differently. And so I have a list of those that I provided uh, when I came. 
and actually one of them does actually fall into uh, um, chapter 25. Um, but, but again, from a contextual point of view, right, there's something else here. Um, why, why can I say or how can I say that there's this really narrow view of each point that they made and say that's not right? Well, um, what kinds of people did we have sitting there in the room? Anybody know? Well, we had bishops from the Church of England, right? We had some Puritan ministers sitting there. We had some Presbyterians sitting there from Scotland. There were, in fact, at least in terms of part of the discussion, some of the members of the Parliament were there. Um, they were purposely trying to develop this to keep everybody in mind. They wanted to say, okay, there's got to be some guardrails of what's outside of, of biblical orthodoxy, but they're, but they're saying all of this, but they're writing a lot of these things, and the wording sometimes is intentionally broad, and maybe what we might declare in, in uh, Americanism, uh, fuzzy, right? Why is that? Because they were trying to be faithful to God's word, but at the same time not be so tight that they're dividing out. And, you know, that's a problem with the American church today. And, and frankly, I think Reformed churches can be the worst of it. We always want to divide, divide, divide. Okay? Yes, we need to call sin, sin. We need to call uh, our fellow churches that are uh, falling into sin or living in, in wicked sin to repentance. Right? But, but if we also have to say that um, that church down the street, if, if they've confessed their sins declaring Jesus as Lord, Okay, they've been baptized. Those folks, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, they might not be part of the elect on the last day, but they're in the church, and we need to treat them as brothers and sisters um, as far as that's concerned. I know this is a lot of introduction, but I want to be careful. This is a tool. It's not the law. right? I, I just want us to be mindful of that. And we're going to look at a few others. We'll look at the Belgic Confession, um, parts of the three forms of unity, um, as well, and, and I just want us to be mindful of this. And of course, um, one last thing about all of this, um, we, we have two confessions that our church rotates through inside of our church service, our liturgy, and they are what? The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, right? And uh, one of the things that we say, um, and the Nicene Creed was originally written this way, uh, but we individualized it later, um, and so um, we've we've kind of gone back to the the original on it. Is that, you know, we say Christian in whom do we believe? We instead of I, a lot of churches say I. Okay, um, part of this is really important. We collectively believe what's in the Nicene Creed. All of us. Okay, um, I can't say. This is important in terms of recognizing an individual, myself or any of you, we can't simply say, I'm going to do away with that. I can't do away with that because all of us, the body of Christ, the local body of Christ right here, we say we believe this. Okay? It, it helps keep us uh, together. And I think that's an important thing uh, to note. Before we, uh, before we dig in, uh, does anybody have any questions or comments? So either I've 
completely explained it all or I bored you out of your minds. I don't know. So let's, uh, let's turn to chapter 25. Did anybody have a chance to take a look at this uh, this week? I'm begging for a comment. Go ahead, Jonathan. I'll try to keep it quick. Maybe recap it. Okay. All right, so for those of you listening at home, I'll try to recap this because I've been asked to try to do this, at some, right? So, so I think in summary, the first part of Jonathan's comments or questions are this. Uh, why, if Jesus focused on unity, why through the history of the church has there been so much division? Um, you know, uh, he made a comment related to the fact that, uh, um, you know, the CREC churches, and I would strongly emphasize until recently, Right, have uh, typically just attracted those who are looking, you know, maybe out of uh, evangelical churches who are looking for something a little more firm and a little more solid, a little more maturity. They've showed up, and uh, you know, then he, he made reference to just like when uh, a baby is formed, it's created through cell division. Although I would argue, of course, that it's when it's birthed, it's one form, and I suppose one could get into to point to and the long-term eschatological view of the church and the elect and all of that. I can, I can see all of that. Um, I'm going to say something that might be unpopular, and this is a little unscripted, so um, no, no, no. I know that all of you guys have probably seen something about something going on in Kentucky, right? All right. <laughs> no, the, the revival, okay. Right, and so the the first question or statement in that is we can we can look at it and we can find things. Well, and I would argue where a lot of our comments about finding issues we might have with uh, the school or the things that's going on there um, are um, we're woefully ignorant because as far as I know, none of the guys I know have even showed up to look at it. Okay, so that's the first thing. Now, but there are principles we can draw out. Um, how many guys know who Garrett Crow is? Okay, um, Garrett Craw, I thought, had, a, had an interesting comment. He's a pastor in our denomination, and he said, you know, my wife and I are products of the last time, the, the Jesus People movement um, in the 60s and 70s. My parents um, came through that movement, which means, in, in a sense, by God's work, um, you know, I, I'm a product of that. And the fact of the matter is, a great deal of you are products of that in some sense. And it was really interesting because what did God do? God suddenly called all these people 
in the late 60s and 70s, and I guess it kind of might have, according to some, if you look it up on the internet, um, drifted into the 80s. Um, but uh, God used that. Um, it was, uh, as, as Pastor Wilson might say from time to time, you know, God draws straight lines with crooked people. He took people right where they at, pulled them right out of there, um, and transformed their lives, and the church grew, right? And, yes, we can look at, at uh, you know, Presbyterianism and other, other denominations throughout history. What, what, what happened at the Reformation, right? That's right, but, there was also, but, there, but, the, but part of that was tied to God was changing his church. He was calling people to repentance. So, um, you know, I, and I'll be honest with you, and I know this, this, is, this is not really so much off topic because I want us to be of, of the right mind here, people, okay? Um, I used to have a uh, prideful attitude. I used to be frustrated because of the churches I grew up in as I got older and as I started working through things and I was even a minister in, I felt um, as if... Uh, as if the church was immature, didn't deal with things, didn't deal with sin. There, there are all kinds of issues in it, and it, and it's part of what plagued my growing up years in my family. Okay, and so I had an attitude. You know, why was the church not ready? Why did the church not have put good ministers, trained guys, people that knew it all the way? Why, 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 why? And then, actually, as my as my faith and trust in the sovereignty of God developed out, okay. I was like, well, first of all, shame on me, because God ordained that, all right? Did everyone who became a Christian and got baptized in that movement, did they persevere? No. There's a whole lot of people God called during that time who are, who are Christians today, even with the, their struggles, that God's going to keep to the very end, okay? And so I, I, I simply want to say... Um, be careful about judging. You know, a true revival always brings out um, churches and a growth in churches, right? Because um, we're going to need to disciple these people. Which brings me to the next point. If, if this is the beginning or there's some other time in the, the very short future, um, and all, th- think about this just for a second. If tomorrow there were 30,000 more Christians in our county, right? And let's say our sliver that God turned over to us to disciple was 250. I'm not even going wild, right? Would we be would we then be looking at everybody and saying, "Okay, you or the people in this congregation, you have no use to discipling them." That would be utterly foolish. Right? Do you know something? Has God done something in your life? We would be, all of us together, working out the elders and deacons, and we'd be, we'd be working on training up people even faster than we are right now. But we'd be doing all these things, okay? And we'd probably have to move along and, for lack of a better term, promote people, if you will, in order to to meet those needs, whether whether they get an official officership or not, right? And, and, and all I'm trying to tell you in this is, is, yes, pray for God to turn the hearts of our community to Christ. And rejoice if, in fact, God 
uh, does something great and turns thousands to him. Okay. <laughs> well, there, there's there's certainly there there's well, and and that's just it. Remember, the scriptures do tell us right that we should all be desiring, and I'm going to tell you, men, you should desire to be qualified. Excuse me. And if there's some reason you're not qualified, keep working on everything. Like if there's some mark that permanently makes you unqualified, um, although I, I would say there's a place for that too, um, for us to, to think through that, what that might look like. But I want to say to you, study. And there's places for the men and the women in that, right? Titus 2 and all the things there. There's, all, there's something for all of us in that. So, for, for those that are at home, I'll try to summarize this briefly. It'll be truncated, but essentially, um, you know, it, it is, there's, there's great joy and enthusiasm when a child is born. Um, and we think about that physiologically, but even much more so in the joy of the Lord when they are converted. And um, how that, uh, I, I got to tell you, as your pastor, when I work with people that are hungry for Christ and I'm I'm giving them the scriptures, you know, I'm strengthened and I'm edified. And, and actually, that'll be part of our sermon today a little bit, too. Okay, I want to say this. We, we have this really great preparatory to it. We have nine minutes, which is not going to do us justice. So next week, we'll just come in firing. Well, not next week. It'll be the week after. Uh, next week, um, Ben Saunders is going to, uh, uh, yep, he stepped out for a second. Oh, I see. You slid down. <laughs> okay. Um, ben Saunders is going gonna, is gonna to follow up on some of this, talking about, I think, uh, you know, something on Haggai and tied, tied to this in the church. Um, the reason for substitution is I have found that there's uh, only so much bandwidth for your pastor. And uh, if I'm doing the Bible and barbecue, that's a whole other biblical lesson I'm drawing out. I don't want to feel like... I am uh, not prepared for you. So he's going to come in and talk about the church in terms of some scriptural references. And then the following week, we'll, we'll start up with 25, 1 and 2. Um, questions or comments here? I, I, I would encourage you. You can go online, by the way, and you can find the Westminster Confession. And you want to find the Westminster Confession with proof text? 
and you know we're going to be going through some of these proof texts and walking through them a little bit so that we can see okay this is what the scriptures say about that yes sir Uh, off the top of my head, I have—I don't recall seeing them, but but I have it memorized. <laughs> okay. Um, it, would you would would you do what? Okay. Would you do this? Uh, would you put that on the realm and you know send it out, and then everybody can can look for that? I, I actually have a copy coming, but but it wasn't here yet. Um, <laughs> well, I, I actually think so, because I, I, I don't want to simply say, okay, here it is, okay. If, if we just re- read the proof texts along with it, you, you, you would have no discussion, and you'd be at, at uh, the end of the first one, and so I don't, I don't want to do that. I want, I want to be fair, and then I also want to just help us think a little bit through it. Um, but, but I did not want to, I didn't want us to fall into thinking that the Westminster is par with Scripture, and we want to understand what was happening in it, and then it seemed timely to talk about uh, what's happening uh, throughout our country. So, um, Any other questions or comments? That's right. You know, we are the living stones. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Any other comments? Yes, ma'am. Sure. So let's uh, just quickly hear um, Gideon, right? Right. Okay. Good. Good point. Go ahead. I'll let you repeat it this way. You're right up close. You were talking about how worship is warfare, and seeing as how warfare is more aggressive versus worship is more of a joyful thing, it seemed like kind of a juxtaposition, and I wanted more context. Sure. Well, part of it, I would argue, is. We don't really understand warfare rightly, right? Um, we've taken human corruption of it, and and uh, that's that's how we we view it. But I, but it's the Lord is the one that brings deliverance, right? He brings deliverance from our oppressors. He brings deliverance against the sins that we're in bondage to. He delivers His people out of um, out of Egypt, right? He delivers Gideon. What what do the people of Israel do? to deliver themselves out of the bondage of Egypt. Okay? Right? Before they went in and they they 
um, brought God's discipline to the Canaanites, right? They learned how to worship, right? Worship is central. Everything emanates out of worship of the Almighty. When you look at Gideon, right? Gideon's got all these men, and God says, what? You have too many, right? And why did he say you had too many? Because he says, right, we're going to think it's our strength, our might, our things that are going to do that, right? And so he keeps giving him different things to pare it down, pare it down, pare it down, all the way till it's just 300. Yes? I, do, I, I think that's common all throughout antiquity. In, hmm. in the Iliad, the first act that they do is they go through war is the Right, right. It, it, the point being, um, we, we uh, and you'll hear me say this a lot, you know, I'll talk about the, you know, I don't, I don't like the dichotomy of Platonistic thinking and how that's infiltrated the church, and so we got this spiritual idea and the physical idea and all of those kinds of, of, of breakdowns, and so I, I want us to know that we're called to live and to do things in the physical world right here. But then I'm saying, yeah, we come in here, we worship God, but we're doing it physically with our vocal cords, singing, raising our hands, kneeling down. All of these things that we're doing with our body, largely in unison, when we say the, the, the creed, when we have our response, all those things we're doing with our voices. Um, you know, when, when we, so, so there's a physical aspect of it. When we, we eat the bread, drink the wine, right? Those are physical things that we're doing with physical things. Um, but all of that to say is when we worship God, God is bringing the deliverance. God is the one who is defeating the enemy. And then when we're all done, right, when we're all done worshiping God and God has done all the unseen things that we can't see during the worship service, we're then commissioned to go out and we think, yep, yep, go out, make disciples of all nations, right? Well, let's, let's tune that in just a little bit, and I'll close with this. Um, it goes to something that Gene and I were talking about earlier this morning, the Lord's Prayer, doing everything, right? We're asking God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever dominion you have, whatever, whatever you, you have control over, you are now to do it in a way that is ordered to reflect heaven, Right? Okay, and when you do that, imagine if just for a second, everybody in this room, right, took everything they're responsible for, everything that you do, and you did it in a way that honors God and serves others, right? Would that transform our families? Would it? Would it transform our neighbors, our employers? Why? Because people would say, man, this is odd. What's going on here? But what, what would happen is, is God's glory um, would lighten the world. And we'd be a city on a hill, right? Anyway, that, that's just a quick run through. But, but I, I want you to understand God is bringing the deliverance. Our part is to worship him and then go and, and, and uh, uh, reflect him in, in all areas of our life. And, um, you know, I don't cause one person and neither do you to come to Christ. The Spirit calls, the Spirit illuminates, 
right? So that is the act of the will of God, and God has called us to worship. And in, in that, he says, when you do these things, you'll be a light, you'll be salt, you'll have impact on the world. The world is transformed. So, all right, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you again for your faithfulness to your people, the church. Lord, we thank you that we can be particularized right here in this church with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray, O Lord, that you would help us to trust in you, help us to reflect you, help us to be committed to your body. Lord, please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.